Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, episode number 111. The Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast is two blokes who have known each other forever, who catch up most days in the Melbourne CBD to talk everything Essendon Football Club. My name is Grant, and with me is Scott and our honorary Aussie, Mr. Sam Vicini from the States. G'day, Sam. How's it going, guys? Mate, we're really good. Thank you very much for joining us today. You're going to be talking to us uh, throughout the show. We're going to be running through some uh, players' names. But, um, Scotty, what have we got on the show today? Yeah, uh, we're going to do a complete 2020 player review today. Uh, we wanted Sam to join us. Sam um, obviously is a, is a keen fan uh, from across the, uh, the, the Pacific in, in LA. So we thought we'd, we'd bring him on the show. We get a lot of positive feedback when Sam comes on the show. So we wanted Sam, who knows a lot about the Essen Football Club uh, and, and understands um, – uh, the, the game really, really well. So we wanted to go through player by player. Some are going to be a 30-second conversation. Some might be a two-to-five-minute conversation. So um, so understand that. Look, I thought it would be interesting to just to start off with um, our thoughts on the Paul Brasher statement. I think that was a, a pivotal moment in the club's history or recent history. Uh, about time. It's an about time bloody discussion is what it is. Uh, I'll go to you, Sam. Um, your initial thoughts from afar. Yeah, I thought it was everything you can hope for from one of those statements. Like, I totally understand that Essendon fans are at the point where they want action and they want things to happen. But I was enthused by the idea that he doesn't feel like the product is good enough right now and that there seems to be a bit more of a ruthless desire there maybe than what the what we've seen recently i like the fact that he actually addressed that head on in regard to some people think we've been a little bit too soft on players recently and that the players you know maybe have gotten uh a little bit more of a rope in order uh to just kind of roll because of the unfortunate supplement saga. And I thought that he mentioned everything that I could have hoped for. Uh, The one thing that I did want to bring up that we kind of, I mentioned earlier was I thought it was interesting that he specifically seemed to minimize Adrian Dodoro's role a little bit. Uh, he specifically went out of his way to mention Ben Rutten, to mention Dan Richardson, to mention Xavier Campbell, to mention Simon Madden, and Sean uh, Wellman, who, even, yeah. maybe not Simon Madden. Who, Sh- who Sean else? Ma- yeah, Sean Wellman. The uh, Sean uh, Wellman is the board member who runs the football side for them. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that he mentioned those people multiple times, and I believe only mentioned Dodoro once, noted that Dodoro would certainly work with them, but it felt like there was, I don't want to say they're departing necessarily from what it's been previously, but it at least was notable that Adrian Dodoro's role, I don't want to say is going to be diminished, but it's going to be in... Uh, conjunction with all of the departments now, as opposed to uh, him managing the list and being the guy. Yeah, the, the, there was a sense uh, of accountability is going to be much more of a focus for everyone's roles um, yeah. that, I, that I felt through. And and I must admit, 
even when he mentioned Xavier, uh, he just made a, a small comment even about Xavier um, just s- slightly removing himself from football operations. Uh, and, and I know that's uh, something that's been talked about to me a lot, about Xavier being quite a, uh, a powerful figure at the club and almost a little bit too big, like too much maybe maybe uh, uh, the uh, the thought of him having too many hands in too many places as well. And I thought there was a little mean, bit Scotty, of – Scotty, sorry to interrupt. Do you mean, do you mean what do you mean by that? Like, do you mean he's too involved in the football operations and not enough in the in the administration or the CEO type work? Oh, in, in a sense, yeah. Uh, though he does that other, though he does the the commercial side very very well. Yeah, but, the, fine, but yeah. there's always been murmurings that he's heavily involved in football operations and and okay. and and quite influential in decisions. And I hear that quite a lot. And, and I thought he made a I thought Paul made a few comments um just on Xavier's role just um saying I think he, he kind of mentioned like um, Xavier will be less involved in football operation, football operations though there'll be some small moments where he'll need to be required uh, and I just thought there was a lot of little interesting statements of, of redefining uh, people's roles and what their accountability was. And uh, and I think it was much needed. Uh, I, I, I felt like, you know, and if I'm being honest, if I looked at Xavier's speech at the Crichton Medal, uh, to me that was quite a sombre-looking Xavier Campbell that I've, I've not seen before. It looked like a, a person under pressure, if I'm being honest. Uh, he was, it, was, um, it was a different Xavier and a, and a different body language. Uh, so... It felt like Paul, who I believe has already done quite a bit of interviews and, and, and discussions behind the scenes already the last the last almost month, uh, has really put in a strong um, start and a strong emphasis on getting this club back and redefining everyone's everyone's roles and and having the people who are specialists in their areas concentrate on those areas and not so much have crossover influences and i think maybe you're right I'd, I'd agree with that and and i think sam has made a really good point as well is that from i picked up on what you along the same lines of what you just said scotty in that i think he's starting to delineate roles and responsibilities but then he's he he's the theme of the way he discussed it was and a bit to sam's point is that if Adrian Dodoro has been doing the draft pick at the draft picking and he's sort of everybody trusts Adrian and it's Adrian's plan and everybody falls in behind Adrian. I think what he's sort of saying now is that um, Xavier is going to be doing the CEO running of the business. Um, Adrian is going to present his plan, but he's going to be getting feedback from truck. He's going to be consulting Carousella. He's going to be control uh, consulting Dan Richardson They'll all get there. They'll all be consulted, and then it'll be a plan coming up through um, the business and get signed off. It's. I don't think there's going to be any one person now that's um, running their own department the way they want to run it. Because I think that's pretty evident that at the moment the the football department is the message, whatever it is at the moment, is not getting through to the players. Um, so I'd agree with what you said on the on the Paul Brasher thing, especially what you said, Sam, is that. He he came out and said what needed to be said, 
it was blatantly obvious that what he needed to what he said needed to be said and i think i've seen a bit of a fair bit of um negative feedback to that on social media and i just think everybody and and scott and i have teed off we've come off the michael holding long run up um several times recently um but we need to we need to give the man time now, unfortunately. And it's a bummer because we've given him time all season and nothing happened. And now we've got to give him more time. But good first statement from Paul. And if he's going to be more involved in the in the um, the club it, from an external point of view, it'll almost, it'll be a miracle that that's happened because we haven't seen it happening in a good period of time. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the statement um, and hope now that, like you said, we'll do the off season, we'll wait but he comes back and things change. Yeah, and you brought up a really good point there as well. Like, the only way that I think an organization can be successful in sports, unless you just get lucky and sign three and draft Michael ten Jordan. best players. Right. Like, in like basketball specifically is like a very individualized game, right? Where like the Cavaliers can screw up for two decades and luck into LeBron Jordan or LeBron James and be fine. Yeah. Right. But in football, you can't really do that. You need to have a top-down method where everyone is on the same page. There is a very real substantial hierarchy in terms of the way that things operate. Uh, And you need to be able to accept feedback across the board. Like the coaches and the list manager need to be on the same page in terms of what is needed. And then if there's disagreement, someone has to win and you need to make it clear who is going to win that argument from the jump. Yeah. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, you need to have a list manager and a, you know, straight up manager, a, a football, a head of football as well. And Dan Richardson's role that are on the same page in terms of the way that you build a roster in terms of the way that you want to play. You can't just go out and get guys because they might be a value. Uh, I don't really think that works in basketball. I don't think it works in football, especially because there are too many positions out on the field that are responsible for too many disparate roles. I just strongly believe that for this club to get back on the right track, they need everyone to be on the same page and they need everyone in terms of recruiting, in terms of playing style. They need to get guys that makes sense for the way that Ben Rutten wants to play now. Yeah. And look, Paul, Paul Brasher in himself, I mean, he was, he was um, chairman of the global board of Coopers. So this is not some small guy who doesn't know at the big right. end of business. Like he, he his reputation is, is uh, fair, but hard. Um, and that's and that's his reputation, and and I know some people go, well, he's been on the board since 2012, so um, I guess there's some skeptical um, comments out there about where he's overseen. Uh, I guess a lot of stuff. Oh, um, you know, it is hard for a board member. I think they, when you're one of eight, it, it is not as you know, you, you can't make as much change as people think they are just because they're on the. Just because they're a director, they can disagree with a whole lot of decisions. But if they're outnumbered six to two, kind of thing, it, 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 you don't have much uh, as influence. But he's obviously been charged of the audit and finance side of Essendon since 2012. But uh, but this guy, now that he's in charge, and he obviously made it very clear that he's dropping a lot of his business side to get this right. So he's actually 
um, he's actually going to remove himself from a lot of his business work. So uh, I sense that he wanted to get this right uh, and he was actually going to make it almost his full-time job to do it. Uh, and there was, look, whether whether it's fair or not or whether people like it or not, it, there, was a, there was a few touch backhanders to Tanner, even though he complimented him because you can't say – um, the comment about us being a passive club and that's not going to happen no long, no more and everything like that without really noting that well before my before I've started this is where our club was at and, and I thought his comments about us being a quite a passive club in, in many ways whether it's it's standing up to the AFL um, and you know and that's that's where Essendon fans you know saw the Conor McKenna. Um, what happened with his him getting COVID, right? Uh, a lot, a lot of fans were going, "Well, where's our football club?" You know, this guy's getting hammered for a disease that could kill him, and, and no one is. You know, all we got was the Essendon Twitter. You know, <laughs> tweeting something. You know, of a sarcastic comment, and you go, "Well, you actually needed a president then to say, hey, by the way, guys, enough's enough, and you're not going to be doing that to our players." Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want a president who's just going to complain after a game about free kicks. I don't want a petty president. I just want at critical moments of a club's, um, uh, when a, a critical event happens, I want the president to come out and and be strong and and stand up for the club and have it and give us a real backbone. And I think it does then infiltrate then to the playing group. You imagine if if our president came really hard for Conor McKenna what that actually does to the rest of the playing group, understanding I've got your back um, playing group. So that's, that's, that's where I sit. I, it, was, it was a really good start. It, it felt authentic. Uh, like it didn't seem over-rehearsed. It didn't feel like uh, it was, you know, obviously he had notes, but it wasn't overly, you know, it was 18 minutes and you can tell it wasn't all just scripted. It was just, and there were some parts he was very, very strong, you know, in he obviously talked about players hating to lose what the culture he wants. He didn't want quarter by quarter inconsistencies anymore. Uh, and he, so, it, it, I mean, even the start where he said, I'm not going to talk financials, I'm not going to talk corporate, I'm going straight to on field and then went for 18 minutes. It, it was it was a clever way to start because I think that's where the fans have been very cynical about the club being very branding and corporate and safe. Uh, and then he went straight the opposite uh, so it was a it was a really really pleasing start, uh, but he he said in his own in his own comments, I know these are just words, um, so he acknowledged that as well. So we'll see where we go from here. It's it's going to be you, we could talk a two hour podcast on how interesting this draft and trade period is because it's it's <laughs> such a it's such a critical moment for the club. Um, uh, and everyone has their theories. I'm 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 more the theory that we might have to do a step back to hopefully have three steps forward uh, kind of approach. Uh, I think there's a, a my only concern with the club at the moment. I'll, I'll, I'll let you, Sam, have your say. Is my only concern is I haven't still heard anyone from the club have any concern about the list, uh, and, and I and I think a lot of fans generally do have a concern about the list makeup at the moment and whether that team can be a top four team. That's my only concern. I haven't – and whether that's that's because they're just being safe and not putting down the list manager or anything like that, who knows what they think behind the scenes, but I haven't had that feel yet that it's all uphill next year. And, and I think we actually have to go a step back and, and reconstruct this list and then and then move forward. 
Yeah, I generally tend to be on that same wavelength. I will say that I think a big part of it is dependent upon what Joe and Adam Saad do. Yes. Uh, if Joe and Adam Saad decide to stay, there's a way to retool as opposed to like enter a full rebuild. Yeah, exactly. If, exactly. If yep. they both decide to bounce, you probably got to take two steps back. Mm-hmm. Like you probably need to move on from a lot of your veterans because you know, maybe they go out and try and get, for instance, maybe they go out and try and get a Ben Brown, right? Or something like that. I will say, though, that I don't think Ben Brown fits the way that Essendon played this year. Like, Ben Brown is a guy who takes leads and yeah. who needs space within the forward line to be able to take those leads. He's not really like a crazy contested mark guy. Uh, like Joe is, for instance, like in the way that we played this year in terms of the way that we wanted to enter the forward 50 was to bomb it long and to try and rely on contested marking. So I think that a big part of this depends on how we want to play later in the season. I thought we got a little bit more toward like short passing, short kicking, trying to get these guys on the lead. So I wonder if that is Ben Rutten and Blake Caracella's influence finally coming to fruition uh, or do we want to play like a bit more of a contested uh, aerial game? Yeah, I think it really just depends on how we want to play. And that's the thing that I think we don't know right now is how we want to actually play football next year. That's the, that's the big one for me too, man. And uh, when we say we want to retool or take a step back, um, I'm 60, 40 um, on not having to retool a hell of a lot. Um, the reason why I say that is because we we didn't play hardly at all. Like the first couple of games, maybe uh, Frio and Colac or something, we played a half-decent game of uh, brand of footy. Yeah. Um, and then I agree with you, Sam, at the end of the year, we started to lower our eyes. We started to hit people on leads coming out of forward 50, mostly because we had a six-foot-seven bloke running at us. Um, but I, I, I don't think that there's a hell of a lot wrong with our list apart from if we could just get people like shield and that to run in the opposite direction, as opposed to just running forward the entire time we would, I reckon we've got a decent list of players, especially for sort of specialized in their areas, but I don't know what the Essendon game style is that because if this year is what, and, and what you said is true and our game style is to bomb it long and try and get, Um, Waller to take marks on top of his head or to rely on individual acts of brilliance when the ball gets bombed inside 50. Either somebody takes a big grab or it hits the deck and somebody kicks a miracle goal, then that's not a game plan. That's that's just kicking hoping. Um, If we've got a game plan, if Truck has a game plan, and which is interesting too because that's nothing like he uh, coached in Richmond. It's the exact opposite of what he coached in Richmond, and we don't have the players to do that. If we had Aaron Sanderlands, Joe Danaher, and and buddy some other massive tall unit down there, then sure, try and bomb it on their head and see what happens. But we don't have the team for that. And the bit that worries me is that Truck would not be teaching them to just bomb it long. He couldn't possibly be teaching them to just bomb it over their shoulders into the forward line um, long. And that the players aren't yet bought into the game plan or there's an issue there. But I, I agree with what you said, Sam. We, we need to be careful in sort of saying we need to retool the entire list 
when we don't know whether or not we played the game plan this year. If we if we come out next year and we've got a whole preseason, hopefully if the COVID crap buggers off, um, if we come out next year and we see an actual game plan, then that would be great. But we, I reckon we would be hesitant. We should be hesitant in moving on a hell of a lot of people until we've proved that our game proved actually what our game plan is. I will say that if Danaher and Saad do go, I don't think our list is like in the top eight next year. I, I just don't. Uh, I look at what the forward line would look like. Uh, you don't really have a tall. You would have to go out and recruit one. And that gets very tricky because there aren't exactly a lot of those guys out there. Uh, you would what be relying on Harrison Jones and yeah. like uh, whoever you draft this year. Like that's, you don't want to rely on those guys, you know, to try and make a push into the top six even yeah, right true. to get a home final. Uh, if they lose Adam sod, it gets really tricky in terms of a transitioning defense to offense, B being able to stop small forwards and C just having a guy that's super reliable back there uh, in terms of knowing what the structures are and in terms of being able to uh, make pretty good decisions with the ball. So if those two go, and I think we all assume that Fantasia is going to go and, um, you know, we obviously Bell Chambers is retired. McKenna's gone. I think it gets really tricky in a hurry to even make a case that this is a top eight side next year. Um, yeah, I'm a bit more brutal. <laughs> like I, I just don't see our list having success. So I, I feel like, all right, address it. Now I, I reckon 70. 70- what about it? What about it doesn't make you think like that? Oh, well, like, I don't. What, what- I don't think our midfield's top eight. I, and, I, and I think we overrate our midfield horrifically. Uh, I, I just I think our midfield is is tenth to eleventh at best in the AFL, uh, and I think we just overplay the names that are played. But if they can't if they can't make good decisions on the field week in week out, um, and how they use the ball and how they think through the game, uh, then I just don't see improvement. I, I see us going to eight, eighth and seventh on a really good run. Um, but I, I, I go, what's the point? Um, uh, so yeah. I, I would rather I, – I, I do think 75% of the list I have no problem. So I, I'm more talking mini-rebuild. I'm, I'm not talking about a, an overhaul. I'm talking about this, uh, a slight reconstruct of the list is, is where I'm at personally. Cause, uh, Starting uh, in the mids? I, I, yeah, I do. I do. I, I, uh, if everyone knew what my thoughts were, they'll probably be horrified and my podcast would be shut down, but I would be trading <laughs> one or two of them uh, of high profile names. Uh, but, but that's just me. That's just where well, I, I guess that where I struggle with the midfield is I think that there is a case that if you go and get like a big inside midfielder to try and dig out the ball, that everyone will then be slid backward into a position that is more sensible for them. Like what Dylan Scheel was super successful at with GWS was not going into packs and getting ground balls. It was being like the second man in a handball chain or the third man in a handball chain 
running toward the forward 50, gaining meters and being able to like be a damaging offensive player on the perimeter of those packs as opposed to being someone who's within those packs. You know, Zach Merritt can go and get balls, and I think he's pretty good, but he's small and you don't want him to be the guy going in there to have to dig that ball out because again like Zach is probably our most efficient midfielder whenever it comes to making decisions uh especially entering the inside 50. So I kind of get the case for there being a need for an inside midfielder and plus like I think it's reasonable to say we don't know what to expect from Dyson Heppel going forward just in terms of his body at this stage like I don't know that I would feel super comfortable putting him in the middle of the ground and being like, look, Dyson, you're six foot three. We need you to go in and get those ground balls and be that big midfielder. I don't know that he's going to be able to do that no, again. It's not the guy so I think that they need, like I've actually kind of come around to the idea that they could use something of a big bodied midfielder, but not because, you know, they need this great, ground ball getter i think more than anything it just kind of puts everyone into a better position to succeed. i think that's a very good comment yeah i think that's a very very fair comment that that you know I mean, dylan shield obviously is leading our clearances um uh this year but that's not what really we were hoping he was going to be that player he, we didn't really want him to be uh, a substitute big inside midfielder because it's not his strength he's running is his mm-hmm. gift running and 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 breaking down defensive lines and getting over them uh, is so I I that's that part I definitely would agree I think when I talk about just reconstructing midfield I think that would be a a big step in just having the midfield um, play the roles that I think we that they got drafted to do like a I mean we'll go let's go through the names because we're going to talk about that naturally. Well, and, and this is going to be can, very can long podcast <laughs> before we do that. Yeah, yeah. Like we haven't mentioned Andy McGraw yet either. And obviously he's kind of the future of the midfield yeah. in every conceivable way. Right. Um, it's a really interesting question. What is his, what is going to be his best role as a midfielder? I don't know that I know the answer to that yet. I don't know if it's going to be being like the second man up. Is he a little bit too similar to Zach Merritt? Or can he be one of the two main ground ball getters uh, within the side? I, I don't know that we know that yet. I, um, I, I sense I sense there's a touch um, nowhere near that level yet, but a touch of Lockie Neal um, mm-hmm. uh, um, with, with McGrath. I do believe he'll be a very very good clearance player. I mean, he's he's yeah. second already. Like he's he's actually only point one behind. I mean. Is that, I mean, um, I, I trust him within those packs much more yeah, than yeah. I trust Dylan. Shields. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Dylan Shields, the definition of an outside midfielder, like he's great. You, if you can get the McGrath to get the ball on the ground, but then the bit, then I, I've I've noticed that the decisions that McGrath's had to make have been extremely quick. Now it's a fast game, and I understand that, and everybody wants to hammer you once you've got the ball, but the decisions. Yeah, the, the positioning of those players, I think I agree with you, Sam, is the positioning of those players. If it's not Andy McGrath getting the ball underneath and he's so damn good at it, so let him go in there and do it. If we had a, another big-bodied mid underneath there, you could have Zach Merritt on the outs- on the outside of the pack, slightly on the outside of the pack, and then you could have Dylan Scheel on the outside of that, um, and he could be streaming down a wing. So I think McGrath's one of our inside mids, and if we can get that other... Inside mid, who's natural at it and is a largish arrangement. 
um, then the likes of Dylan Shield becomes the player that every like the Rolls Royce looking footballer that he does look like um, moving forward. So I, I think that's why I'd, I've I've often wondered why um, Dylan Clark. I mean, he's if he if he can do anything, he can get the ball. Sure, he's not going to then be able to hit um, Joey Lace out at fifty. I don't think because he hasn't got the foot skills for it. But he's a young kid. He's his job. He's good at getting his hands on the ball in packs. He's a reasonably tough unit. Why wouldn't we chuck him in there as that kid and put him in the weight room and tell him, right, I want to see seven, eight more kegs worth of muscles on you. And you're our mid, you're our inside midfielder. Your job is to pick the ball up and handball it to Dylan Shield or handball it to Merritt or get a foot on the ball or something like that. I, I just think everybody says we need a big bodied mid, but we've got a kid that has the attributes to be able to do it. So I, I agree with what you said. I think there's there's a there's one piece that we can chuck in there that if it works really well, everybody else falls more into the positions that they're better suited to. But I will say this to Scott's point, I, I would agree that I don't really believe that our midfield is in the top eight. Like, just kind of run through it, right? Like, Brisbane has Lockie Neal and like Hugh McCluggage on the outside. Like, they're a better midfield than Essendon is, right? Uh, Carlton has Patrick Cripps and Sam Walsh, who Cripps didn't even have like an amazing year, but he that midfield projects better than our midfield does right now, I think is reasonable to say. Collingwood has Pendleberry, Taylor Adams, and uh, Steel Sidebottom. Uh, Fremantle's chucking out like a match winner, like Nat Fife. Uh, Geelong has Selwood, Guthrie, Dangerfield, uh, Menegola. Uh, you know, GWS has all of the midfielders in the world, seemingly, <laughs> with like Canelio, Kelly, Lockie Whitfield plays on the outside of the midfield. Um, like, you kind of run through these lists. Richmond has Dustin Martin and Trent Cochin, right? And Sydney has Luke Parker and Josh Kennedy who are getting older and maybe they can surpass them at some point, but like, not there yet, right? Western Bulldogs have two, or two uh, All-Australians in... Um, Jack McRae and Marcus Pontempelli, plus they have Josh Dunkley in there too uh, when when Dunkley's healthy. So like you run through the, like just the overall lists and it gets tough to make a case that they have a top eight midfield at the end of the day. Merritt Merritt and Shield. Like you you ran through, you you gave a couple of names like Merritt and Shield. Merritt's all Australian, um, A grade midfielder. Dylan Shield is, I'd put him every bit as good as Hugh McCluggage or um, sure. Buddy McRae or somebody like that. I, I would not say he's as good as Jack McRae for what it's worth. Yeah, see, I, I don't. I yeah, Scotty and I, we've had this conversation on a previous podcast. I don't rate the the, the Bulldogs midfield as, as well as everybody else does. I, I'm missing something there clearly, but they've, it's an they've int- eviscerated us three straight years. <laughs> they, well, they have. That is true. That is true. Um, but I, I guess Zach and the likes of Shield. I think people. I think people were looking at the midfielders because they're not performing at the moment. Well, let me rephrase that Uh, because it's sort of starting. Our game plan is sort of starting in the mids and we're not getting it done. Dylan Shields getting a a mess of um, uh, center clearances. Merritt showed you who Merritt was in the second half of the year. Um, Parrish is improving as a footballer. Langford is, um, is starting to find his feet in the midfield as well. I appreciate maybe that, yeah, it's not Nat Fife and, and that other dude and it's not Danger and Ablett and Menegola and those guys. I appreciate that, right? And and Collingwood, 
yeah, fine. I hate that club, but yeah, fine. Um, they're good midfielders. Like they, they just yeah, they're, do. they're like, good. They're good midfielders. But I guess like we're not, we're not tenth or eleventh. I honestly don't believe we're tenth or eleventh. When you've got Zach, De- uh, Devin Smith, who didn't have a particularly good year and might be in a different role, but Zach, Devin Smith, Dyson Heppel up and running, and we didn't see that this year. Um, Shield, Parish, Langford. Now there's. Parish and Langford are the two least qualified to be in that list, but it's still an okay list. And I, it's not, it's not a list that we need to. I don't think we need to go and say, well, well, we need to get rid of players and, and change it over. So I, I don't know. It's an interesting point of view, and I understand where you're coming from. That there are yeah. better midfields in the comp. I must admit, but um, I don't think it's too bad. Zach and, and Dyson, Dyson up and running is a good footballer and then Shield in the, in his right position doing the right thing is a, a great footballer. So it's interesting to see. Yeah, well, well and it's yeah. A, it's a question of depth too. I think is a great way to put it. Like we have a lot of midfielders. I don't think we have the guy yet. You know what I mean? No, like, I no, no, think... no, 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 I agree. We don't have Patrick Cripps. Yeah, like we don't have Dangerfield. We don't no, have we, we don't have an out and out superstar in our midfield. Yeah, like Lockie Neal. We don't have huh. Bonds and Pelly. Like, I don't think we have a Jack McRae, to be honest. And, like, McRae is, you know, an incredible inside midfielder who, you know, you can make the case that, like, from where I'm talking, like, maybe he's not the most, like, damaging guy. And that's what we're talking about here with Essendon. But, like, he just dominates clearances in such a substantial way that, mm. man, it, it gets tricky, I think. with that. It's, it's a tough conversation because there is a lot of depth there and there's a lot of potential, but I don't. I don't know. It's tough. I think you're right, Grant. Like it's a tough conversation for me. For yeah, me, absolutely. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, we've got to go to a very, very quick break and actually we'll come back to the the theme of the show, which is a player review. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, we love talk, we love talking to Sam. We could just be talking to Sam for hours and hours and hours on footy. So we better get back on track. Yeah, yeah. So look, if, to me, it's just 2017, 18, 19, 20. We've averaged around 11th on the ladder. So I, I, I think the midfield backs up how we're consistently finishing at the end of the year. That's my personal yeah, belief. But the, but the midfield has to play the game plan. Right? The midfield has to play the game plan. That, that's that's my only point that I'd add to the end. Uh, yeah, I think that's a cop-out. But, yeah, I think if they can't hit a target, they can't hit a target. I'm, I'm more ruthless these days where okay, if you can't dispose of the ball, then, 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 then you're not as good as other teams because the other, other teams are. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about not hitting targets whenever <laughs> yeah. we get to a lot of these players here. So <laughs> That is true. All right, let's get all break. Okay, welcome back to Guru Swami's uh, sitar <laughs> here again. Scotty with the weird music so- uh, choice. Um, all right, so we're going to get on to the uh, to running through the players, top to bottom. Um, we'll have a bit of a discussion around each player. Like Scotty said, some of the players that have maybe played one game or a couple of games and that are unfortunately not only with the club, we might not take as much time on those guys um, and maybe a little bit more for the players that we feel that are going to have a real influence on hopefully turning this uh, this club around moving forward. So where do we start, Scotty? Look, let's start off. Uh, we'll go a little bit random with the names. So we're going to start off with Josh Begley. Uh, obviously has been delisted, only played one game this year. Uh, I... Look, my, my quick thought was when we first drafted him, he actually looked like uh, I, got, I probably got a little bit fooled by the highlights packages, but he, he, 
even his first game, he, he played a game, <laughs> his first ever game, he kicked like three goals. Looked really promising. Um, he looks strong. Like he looked yeah. like a. He was his name's Fridge. He looked strong. He was pushing blokes off and taking grabs. It was great. The knee, the 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 big knee injury just didn't seem to he just to seem to really um, crush his his momentum and, and just didn't didn't come back um, uh, a play that we'd hoped would be. So I don't want to spend too long, but uh, I don't know if anyone else has got any comment, but. Um, just wish him all the best, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it, I'm not going to spend too much time. Um, no, mate, I, I, I wanted to say a quick thank you to Josh Begley. He's uh, Upper Ferntree Gully Bogan, um, <laughs> out from my uh, out from my neck of the woods, not out Upper Ferntree Gully, but deep, deep, deep eastern suburbs uh, Bogan. And he's I, – I was, I was sincerely hoping we could have pinched that bloke um, and make him, made him into a player. Darren Buick went – might have want to have a look at this kid, and he's got a big boot, and he was a big arrangement. You're right, though. Came back from an injury. He's probably not in our long term plans, um, but good to see a uh, good to see an Eastern Suburbs bogan getting a crack at Essendon. So uh, all the best to you, Josh. Uh, look, uh, we'll go to Tom Bell Chambers now. We can have a bit more conversation. Obviously, he's announced his retirement. Uh, uh, played, I think, twelve or thirteen years for the club. Uh, for me. Uh, I feel sorry for Tom because he's not spoken enough about what the saga may have done for him because he's he was hitting his peak form right when the saga hit. Uh, and so I, I actually feel that he's one of those classic examples where I thought the saga probably missed out on his two or three real dominant years as a ruckman when he had a real spring. Um, but one thing you get from Tom is that he is going to sacrifice his body. He's going to crash as many packs, he's going to speak up on the field. He's going to sledge, and he's going to try and make the the team walk taller. And, and you, I could, you know, uh, I feel we've probably had a, only a, a few players for a decade that have had that kind of feel. And um, so, I, I look. He, he obviously this year um, he had one or two really kind of good good games, but you could tell his body was just a little bit off for most of the year. Um, Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I love him. Uh, it was time. Yeah, like it, he couldn't really move anymore. Was the issue like he couldn't get around the ground to even get in potential like situations to touch the ball and be an impact player? Uh, just just wasn't there anymore. Like he couldn't get up the ground consistently to be a contested marking target often uh it's a bummer i mean like you guys said he's given everything for the club for uh certainly since i've been watching football uh since before then and i feel genuinely bad that someone like him has seen his career so clearly derailed by a supplement saga by injuries as well because of that hard-nosed style that he played it sucks, and I totally understand why guys like Hooker, Hurley, etc., were disappointed in him not playing. But like you watched him go through, even like the little makeshift like player tunnel that was created at the end of that game. I mean, he was like limping through the tunnel, even mm. yeah, like out on that last game against Melbourne. So incredible bummer that his career has to end this way. But I, I think it's certainly, uh, unfortunately, he can hold his head high though. Yep. Yeah, and I think one of the Tommy's one of the 
older breed. He's a bit of a hybrid. He, he's he's a big unit, one of those big old-fashioned ruckmen that are big and can throw their hips around and, and knock blokes over left and right. And he also had that good um, knack of being able to be more aerialist and take big grabs as well. So he was a good mix of big, scary ruckmen that could uh, knock people over, and he was also aerial enough and... and um, acrobatic enough to be able to take a few grabs but i just think this is just father time catching up with a big bloke on a, with a big body who's thrown it around an afl field for a good period of time and he's got some injuries and father time just caught up with him it's 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 not a it's not a sad thing it's just it's just his time to go and a massive and when you add what he what he did on the field which was a lot he was very serviceable for the Essendon footy club plus the fact that he's one of the most loyal footballers to the club i uh i'm a massive fan of tom bell chambers and want to give him a massive thank you for playing yep. yeah and the other thing i want to bring up too is the uh the work that he seemed to do at least from the outside with sam draper exactly, bringing yeah. him along yeah yeah i mean just a club man through and through yeah and yeah, someone that deserves all of the props in the world. I think. Yep. I think. I think the world of Tom Bell Chambers, but you know, I, I think he realized that you know his body let him down. And it was time. So, so uh, we go on to Ned Cahill played three games. Uh, look, obviously, probably too small data to fully understand what Ned can do. I I watched him obviously at training in in the preseason, um, and you could tell there was a really good prospect coming through. Uh, probably was using the b- more ball better at training, um, and, and, may, and obviously it's only three games, so experience obviously um, counts for that. Uh, but there's a more player there than probably what's suggested in his three games uh, from what I saw at training. I, I thought he was really creative who, um, and, and had quite a, uh, a good footy IQ from, from the match simulation I saw. So it Again, just a one to watch for next year. But the fact that the club promoted him so quickly, um, around I was, I'm, I'm guessing it was around, felt like it was around eight or nine round, sort of around then. Um, but it, it, it sort of showed that the the coaches wanted to get him in um, pretty quickly. Uh, so they obviously felt like there was a bit of a player there. So um, interesting one to watch. Uh, yeah, I might, I, sorry, man. I, I was. I'll jump in. I like the fact that he got so much space. Every every game that I saw um, Ned play, he. I don't know that he's wildly physically gifted. He's a little nuggety. Got a couple of little muscles on him and stuff. He's a nuggety sort of a little small forward, but he seems to get space every time I saw him get the ball. He was sort of by himself or had a couple of meters on his opponent, and then I don't think he was in super good positions to to kick many goals. I mean, what did he kick two? Um, but I like the fact that he got space. And those those young-looking, blonde-haired, reasonable, um, reasonably well-put-together footballers, there's been a history of those blokes that have done well in the AFL. And I I think you're right. I don't know about him. You're, you're generally correct in that it's only been three games, so we can't tell. But... It'll be interesting to find out whether or not he's going to be a crumbing forward. Is he going to be at bottom of packs? Do we need him to be at bottom of the packs? Or is he going to be one of those kind of small forwards that can lead out, take a mark and, and turn around and, and kick a goal? So absolutely, keep him on. I want to see what he does, lose a bit of that puppy fat and see what um, we can get out of Ned. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Scott, I'm glad you brought the creativity for sure. I think that that's something that stood out early. Uh, 
I mean, look, I can only judge him based off of having watched him play like as a crumbing forward. Yeah. Right. Uh, I would like to see him be around the pack a little bit more and get his hand on the ball. And I think that the biggest kind of swing skill for him is going to be how his body develops because he is very skinny still uh, and he's still a teenager. So you would expect that. Yeah. you know, I, I definitely keep him around for sure. Like I, I, with these a big part of this conversation, I feel like is with lists likely dropping into like the 42 to 44 person range, let's say mm-hmm. something like that. Do we think it's worth keeping this person around? I, I think is a big part of this discussion. And Ned yeah. Kale's one that I would pretty confidently keep around. Yes. Yep. 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 Uh, we'll move on to Dylan Clark. Now, this is going to be an interesting one because he's played eight games and most of them were pretty much eight in a row towards the end of the year. Um, played it, played out of position, um, and, and this is a, an area that Essendon have done quite a bit and maybe they just feel like there's just too many people in the midfield, but he, he's an expert clearance inside player. Uh, slash, slash tag. Slash tag. Uh, but he's yeah his junior career he was averaging twenty five possessions in TAC Cup, uh, and you know I, you had Darren Buick, uh, who was his coach, saying this guy would be a two hundred game player. So he obviously felt like this guy was going to grow into something really significant, uh, and he must be himself a little bit frustrated about how he's being developed, you know, and whether it's. It, whether it's his kicking, that's that's the real concern of the club, maybe. But I, I don't see him as a forward role at all. Like I, I don't see uh, it, it. Just and he and good on for him. He still managed to kick four goals, <laughs> but I don't see like it, it. To me, he plays one position, um, and that's an inside mid, and it's either that or or I don't know if there's any other. When when you have a full complement of the list healthy. He can only play that position. Um, the rest are kind of filled up for me. So uh, he's still contracted next year, so he'll be playing. Um, but it's an interesting uh, him and him and Parish. I'm probably going to have Parish as well about how much we play some guys that I think keep getting the ball and clearance work as a forward. Um, uh, there must be a little bit of frustration on these guys' parts about their development. Uh, especially with the no VFL. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'd rather be playing VFL and learning my craft <laughs> against big-bodied VFL guys than playing half forward and getting the ball 10 times. Um, yeah. uh, you know, so, yeah, that's my comment. <laughs> yeah, mate, that's, that's the thing for me also. I'd, um, Dylan Clark and Darcy Parrish would probably be having, would be lamenting over a beer or two um, the way they've been developed by the club. Now, not everybody can become superstars at the club. Not everybody's going to become um, Paddy Dangerfield. But in a, a bloke like Dylan Clark is every day of the week a midfielder. Every single day of the week. And I think if they've if the club's had a plan and they're going to say, well, if he can get the ball a lot and he's reasonably okay at doing that, if he can do that in the middle of the ground, why can't we put him in the forward line and he can do it there? I don't know. There's there's a whole different set of skills that he's got to learn to be able to get the ball in there and then be able to to have an impact by kicking goals. Now he's sure he kicked four of them and that's that's great. But I think Dylan is a bit along the lines of Darcy Parish in that every time you put Darcy Parish in the middle, he does okay. He's a midfielder, right? 
is he um, Paddy Dangerfield? No, but is he? Get, he's a midfielder. I just think Dylan needs to be either in the midfield with the ability to switch on from get the ball or run with Paddy Cripps or something like that. Or I think I agree with you, Scotty. I'm not quite sure what his role is with the with the club. So I have a I have a uh, an awful thought that if we go down to that 42 or 44 player list thing, he might be one of the blokes that are um, that are squeezed out. Yep. Yeah, and I think that'd be bad. I totally yeah, agree so with you I. guys. Uh, a guy that has he could be that big bodied midfielder that we've been talking about this whole podcast basically <laughs> he could be that guy that could actually come through the mark or come through the pile and uh really just kind of god i'm trying not to curse really hard kind of mess <laughs> stuff up right and kind of clear the pack right so i would like to see him more in an inside uh just inside the contest role like even if if it's in the VFX year, do that and let him roll that way. And we'll see where it goes. Uh, this again, though, I think gets back to the issue of our midfield being more quantity than quality right now. Yeah. Because guys like Dylan Clark don't really get a chance to come through the midfield because we have like eight midfielders that are all somewhere between B minus and A minus grade players. Yeah, that's a fair comment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that actually puts a bit more perspective on what you said earlier. You're right, is that we look at uh, Dylan Clark and if you put him into the midfield, that means right, if, if he's full-time midfield, he starts in the mids as the game starts, who jumps out of the midfield? Like, does that mean Darcy doesn't get a game in there or right. what happens? And when yeah, you put a consequence, him, yeah, yeah. One of the consequences of putting him in there full time. And again, look, is he the most wildly skilled footballer in the AFL? Absolutely not. But you're right. It's a it's a tough decision. I mean, Dylan Clark, putting Dylan Clark into the midfield for Essendon means we're going to get the hand our hands on the ball. But does it move us from maybe an eleventh best midfield up into the seventh best midfield? No, no, it doesn't. So it's interesting. You're right. That, 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 that's, that's what you just said before, Sam, about quantity rather than quality. That's actually just dawned on me about, yes, we've got as many midfielders as everybody else, and you can put Zach up there as being a gun and Sheil on his day as being a gun. But after that, yes, we've got the quantity, but do we have the the sincere quality of the next, the Menegolas, who's not Patrick Dangerfield and he's not Selwood, but he's really A-grade Um do we have that next level of performing midfielders? So uh, you might be you might be turning my opinion around here, Sam. Well, it might be like the idea might be that we have to condense some of these assets into one asset, right? Like yeah. you see it in uh, you know American sports across the board, typically like being able to move multiple guys for one guy. It's harder in the AFL. Uh, it's not really done, unfortunately, yeah. which makes it tougher. But it the Essendon list managers and the list management team, they're going to have to get a little bit creative in the way that they figure this out because they actually do have enough depth to where let's say someone like a Dyson Heppel goes down again, or someone like a, you know, God forbid Zach Merrick gets hurt seemingly for the first time in his career for, you know, an extended period of time. They actually do have enough guys that can step in and play a role there. Yep. No, no, I, I completely agree. 
Uh, look, I'm, I'm only just looking. I'm just conscious of time because we're 50 odd minutes <laughs> into the show and we've only done four plays. Uh, <laughs> we might, we might need to. The next one's not going to take too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might we might need to, Scotty. We might need to look at it from an Avengers point of view and just go a bit of uh, a bit of part two next week or something <laughs> like that. Or we'll do half this podcast and do half the next week or something. We'll see how we go. So look, all right. Tom, look, Tom Cutler. I'm not going to say much. I'm not a massive fan. Uh, I, I feel like over the ball, he's very soft, um, and 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 his physicality. Uh, on numerous occasions um, is frustrating to me. So, uh, uh, look, he's obviously contracted next year, so he probably will play, but um, he's one of my, um, I guess, midfielders that I feel is probably out of the 22, personally, for me. That's just my quick start. I'll put him in the I, same I breath as – sorry, go, Sam. I was going to say, I don't know if he'd be in the 30 for me. Mm. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're going, like, extended even. Um He's fine, I guess, in terms of being able to kick it long. And I mean, he actually does kind of get around the ball a reasonable amount. But yeah, I kind of agree with Scott. Like, I would like the physicality to be better. Uh, he doesn't seem to make great decisions with the ball. Like, it, yeah, not for me personally. Uh, not a guy that, like, I understand what they were going for. Like, I, talk last year on the podcast i feel like about how they needed a wing and they tried to get someone that could be a kind of a low cost option on the wing yep i just don't think it worked unfortunately so yeah i, I put him just just quickly i put him in the same breath as um, mitchell hibbard in that you know, I, I like the look of him and you look at him and go oh geez he's yeah i wonder if this could work and they wondered if it can work and i don't think it's going to work so yep uh, let's go, Joe Danaher. Obviously, <laughs> there, there is, no, this is, is a, obviously this is an hour podcast in itself. Um, it is a fifty-minute podcast, right there. Uh, obviously, look, the he, he's, Let's go with the positives. He came back. He played four games. Um, played one really good game. Obviously, his first game, you could see that um, very quickly on his day can be a match winner. Um, can be. Uh, uh, I mean, can be the superstar presence that you you sometimes hope for in in each club, uh, and then in other games you also get the other Joe Danaher package, <laughs> where it's a little bit eccentric, not always together there, mentally a little bit distant sometimes, um, and then you know can play a last quarter and just go yeah I'll, I'll rack up ten positions and and play really well. Um, so it, it, he's an interesting player, Joe. He's um, yeah, I mean, he's obviously got a big decision to make and, and, you know, I'm being, you know, I feel like the script is going very similar to last year, if I'm being honest, um, where silence is not always that good <laughs> um, and you feel like Brisbane is, is right, sort of right in contention for his services. But I, I don't know myself, so before anyone asks, I don't know. I, and I don't think many people know Joe's a very secretive man. Um, but as look, as far as playing on the field, obviously you'd love to have him in your side. He's a he's your pivotal centre half forward guy that that creates the whole structure around the forward line. Um, and I've never felt like, you know, obviously next year with Joe with a preseason, Stringer with a preseason. Um, obviously it's a whole different ball game. Uh, and I and I include Harrison Jones into the mix uh, with that as well, with another four or five kilos onto his build because. I uh, know not many people have seen him, but he's he's actually a really exciting prospect. So, if he stays, it's obviously a, a big outcome. But um, 
but I don't know where he's going to go. So, uh, but yeah, uh, I'll let you go, Sam. I'm sure Danaha's right uh, in your thoughts. Yeah, uh, I've got a lot of thoughts. Uh, first and foremost, I think people need to like chill on the whole he owes the club an answer now thing. Like, I get it that it's been a couple of years now and I get that people are frustrated, but he just left like a hub where he was away from people that were close to him for a long time. And, you know, like Scott kind of said, he's a guy that uh, seemed to do better by moving away from the football hub uh, this year prior to really needing to, you know, go into like a football centric community like that. So I think that he has earned the time by being someone who's been with this club for eight years. I, I get that you could make the case that Essendon has put a lot of time into him in terms of the injuries, but at the same token, I frankly don't really trust the training staff at Essendon. <laughs> so like, no, I agree. I, mean, I agree. They were playing Dyson Heppel with a screw loose in his foot in games that didn't matter. So like, Look, I, I think he deserves time to make a decision. Uh, and look, I always come at things from like a player perspective and like a player standpoint, player centric first and foremost. I think they're the people that really matter in this. But like, man, I, I would like, you know, like I saw, uh, what was it, Ted Fordham, like come out and basically call him like a selfish dude and like said all these things. And I was just like, man that doesn't help anything. Like, what are, what are you doing right now? Ted Fordham was played AFL football for Essendon in 1961. Uh, like no, no one's heard from Ted Fordham in 50 right. plus 60 years. Right. And I'm not sure. I'm quite honest. Quite, I'm quite honest when I say that I had no idea who Ted Fordham was and why we should be significantly listening to Ted all of a sudden. Right. Oh, that I totally agree with. That was like in Australia football media, like can like creation yes. to the yeah. nth degree. I, I don't understand why all of a sudden who is this bloke and why should we be wildly um, listening to the man about their his opinions on Joe? Um, what what that is is it just a massive media beat up of a bloke that used to um, play for Essendon has said something about Joe Danaher, so we'll put it on every um, news source in the world, but. Um, mate, on Joey D, I have one overarching problem with letting him go, and that is you don't get hold of six foot seven forwards that can yeah. win you a game ever. That does like you don't you don't draft that like you you don't you don't draft Wayne Carey. I mean, that's that's probably a bit much putting him in that breath, but you don't draft kids that are that a kid that is that physically talented and gifted with a last name like Danaher and then just let him go. Like it doesn't, you should hang on to him. I mean, Matty Richardson couldn't kick it for Richmond, couldn't kick a football to save his life, right? He was an awful kick of the, of the ball, but Richmond hung on to him their entire life because he was six foot five and he was a, a monster and could take heaps of grabs. They're the kind of blokes you hang on to almost at all costs. But I, one thing I will say about Joe is that he 
we we want Joe, and he knows it, right? He's he's a massive kid, and everybody um, wants to keep Joe, and everybody wants Joe. So he knows he's in the position of power. He can do as he likes. But one thing I will say is that he knows where he, what's happening, right? He he knows what's happening right now. If he doesn't know after this season whether or not he genuinely wants to stay or not, then I'm not sure what he's been doing for the entire time that he's been injured or running around with his Essendon mates. I just think before Christmas, he shouldn't leave us hanging as long as he, he has. Um, he will he will have met with anybody that he's thinking about going to already. If he hasn't done a Zoom call with them, I'd be very surprised. So I reckon he knows where his preference is. If it's to play at Essendon, then maybe like he can wait a little bit longer if he wants to because ultimately it's going to work out well for Essendon and nobody's really going to care if they wait a little bit longer if we retain him. But if he's not if he's not going to stay at Essendon, I think he does deserve uh, we, the, the club does deserve the um, the courtesy of saying it now. Like if he wants to go on on his off season because as an employee he's going on his his uh, holidays at the end of the year. And he wants to go and enjoy himself fine. But when you come back from that, Joe, and if you're honestly not going to be playing at Essendon next year, let the club know. Um, it, it's just a courtesy thing. Then we can we can all cry um, the river that we will be crying and we can move on <laughs> and we can uh, we can try and find a replacement for him. I, I that's think, a, yeah, I think, that's, um, I think that's probably where fans are at. I think it's more... Um, there's two arguments, right? I, I'm not one that says that Joe owes the club because he's now fit. I mean, he asked for no. a tra- he asked for a trade last year and we rejected it, right? So, yeah. right. So that's a, that's on us. So, it's, what happens this year? I have no bearing, and, and I just don't get the whole narrative of suddenly he owes us because we held him. <laughs> we ha- we held him to a, a contract. Um, no, no, that, that's, you know, we're, it's us, the club who took the risk, uh, and, and Joe's not, you know, should not be sort of labeled to have any consequence from us trying to, you know, from us forcing him to stay here, basically. Now it's saying that because he's had a whole 12 months after that, and he's obviously played football. I, look, I'm probably with a little bit with you, Grant. I have no doubt in my mind, probably where he's thinking. Um, and I think. I, you could tell there was even with Brash's comments and and a, and a few others that there was a little bit of AJ. We need to find out pretty yeah. quickly, um, and whether they have a gut feeling that he is going. Um, but there's no doubt the trade period is going to come up very very fast, and that's where they need to uh, because he's such a big player, right? I mean, it's such right. a it's such a big salary um, to 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 free up, uh, and it's obviously you know. If, if it went through restricted free agency and we got pick seven, you know, um, out of that, because we've got pick six now, we would probably nominated pick seven as well. It has such a consequence of what they what they could do from here on. I think that's obviously where the club's at going, well, if you if you stay, then awesome. But if, you, if you're not going and you know now, then tell us because we need to plan uh, because it, we've got probably in realistically 900K of salary. Opened up immediately, um, yeah. and we've got to pick seven, and so we need to, we need to, you know, if we've got someone in mind that we've been talking to for the last six months, then we've obviously can up that up the ante. So, it, it's an interesting one. But Joe has within his rights to genuinely take two weeks off after the hub, 
and 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 come back. I have no problem if it's a two week time frame. I don't, I personally don't have a problem with that because Sadi's doing the exact same thing. Sadi's going to Sadi's already noted he's going to probably make a decision at the end of next week. Um, yeah, like that. That's my big thing. Like it's very early. Finals yeah, yeah. haven't even started. Yeah, yeah. The yet. finals or they might start, to start tonight. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Like we're still so far away from the point where. Essendon can even sign players, right? And like, you can make the case that, yeah, like they need to be able to negotiate with players now. Dude, if you can't negotiate a contingency based upon if Joe decides to say and go, like you need to not be in that job. (laughs) I mean, like if you can't plan ahead uh, for two possible contingencies, that's a problem at the end of the day. So like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm, I'm not saying that he can't like he, he should go into the trade period without having let them know he needs to let them know before the trade period happens big time but we're like a month away from that <laughs> like we're i know that, and that's way, why i think people might be frustrated to know that he hasn't said anything yet we're a month away and he doesn't know after the whole season um I'm, he doesn't see, know like i get that though like i like I, maybe this is me just like i like talk to agents like on the nba side and like deal with free agency, like on a crazy level here, like it's part of my job. Right. And guys like really are, they tend to be locked into the season during the season. And then they don't know what to do after the season. So like, maybe it is different with Australian football players. I'm not saying that like, you know, they're the same kind of people necessarily. They have the same, yep. you know, ideals in terms of the way they go about things. But I don't know. Like, I don't really have a problem with him taking time. And then like on the field, like let's move back to on the field. Cause the conversation, mm. you know, that can go forever. Right. On the field. Like I didn't really have a problem with the way he played. They played him a lot at full forward, which I don't know if that was to like, kind of push him back a little bit in terms of his body. Right. Like maybe they didn't feel like he could get up the ground throughout entire games yep. as he was returning. Uh, I think that that's where you saw him be a little bit more invisible because our midfield couldn't hit a target to save their lives this year. So like, very very true. Very true. (laughs) I think that like a lot of the invisibility throughout quarters for him was that more than it was. He wasn't playing a role. Like whenever he was up at center half forward, I thought he was pretty active and was pretty good. Hmm. No, no, he he always looks dangerous, and that's what you want. Like he always, and, and he is going to bring the ball to ground at worst case scenario. Like he just leaps yep. for everything, uh, where he's going to get most of the time first hands on the ball, or the ball's going to hit the ground. Um, so, uh, I thought he looked dangerous enough. Um, uh, but but yeah, guess, what, what did he play? How many games? Four games. Like dangerous yeah. enough. He he sat on the. He sat on the the fence line for one, and that didn't go down well with people and stuff. But, but that game v what was it Hawthorne when he came back? That game v Hawthorne just shows you what he what that kid can do. And i I'd love to I'd love to understand what the tipping point is between. Damn, you do not get kids like this. What you get a kid like this once every Shrove Tuesday, right? Like you really do a kid that can absolutely win you a game that I don't care. There's not a defender in the league that can run with Joe Danaher. None, right? If he's up and about and he sticks both hands up in the air and jumps at the ball, there's no, and, and it's delivered properly, mind you, because like you said, we couldn't hit a target. Um, there's not a defender that can get anywhere near him. Now, that's 
that's ridiculously hard to get. And why you would want to get rid of that, I don't know. Um, and, and I understand why um, Dodora and those guys said no last year because, mate, Tom Papley in, in reverse for Joe Danaher was going to be a massive jump backwards. He's played four games. He's looked, his injury looks okay. We haven't heard any whispers or anything along those lines. I'd say keep the bloke. It, but, 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 he has to want to be there. Like he can't, we can't say, Joe, we're going to, we're going to make you captain and give you the um, free access to use, I don't know, Paul Brash's private jet or anything like that to try and keep him there. We just have to walk out and go, right. We, and I'm sure they've had this conversation already is that we stuffed your OP up. We understand it. We'll put our hand up. That's why half the fitness staff aren't there anymore. Um, We stuffed your OP up. We sent you to the Irish guru. He's fixed your OP. If he has fixed that bloke's IP, he then becomes the most dangerous forward in the comp. I don't care about Tom Hawkins or Jeremy Cameron. That bloke is, is the most dangerous. Is he the best, but he's the most dangerous forward in the comp, um, considering what he, he does the most. Like, he, he does the most. He can come up the ground. Like, that's yeah. the difference between him and, like, a Ben Brown, right? Like, Ben Brown is yeah. a forward 50 forward mm. who plays full forward, who takes Old leads, yep. not a great contested mark. Joe Danner can come up the ground and actually make an impact everywhere from Essendon's inside 50. Like he yeah. doesn't go in there, but everywhere else across the field, he can make an impact. So Absolutely. he needs to be like, he is that kind of guy, I guess, is my point. Like, and I guess that this would be my final question, just kind of going off of what Grant's saying. And I, I would imagine we're going to spend the most time on Danaher. I assumed that going into this <laughs> podcast. So, like, that doesn't necessarily bother me that we're spending this much time. But, like, um, if he leaves, where is the club? Because, like, it actually is a significant problem if he leaves. Uh well, we're without we're without a ready-made. There's no uh, replacement. I mean, there's no replacement. That's right. I mean, we've got Jimmy Stewart, who's been quite good coming back this year. I thought he he's take to, took a few marks, took a few grabs, played deep in forward fifty. They tried him a little bit down back to maybe have a look at him. But you're right. We don't have. If we get a fit Jake Stringer and we get Waller and we get Jimmy Stewart um, and whoever else we want to chuck down there, that's great. But we don't have the. There's still room in AFL sides to kick goals for people like Tom Hawkins. Um, Tom, the, the big the big forward who, when you look up in the middle of the ground, you're looking for him. And unfortunately, Harrison Jones, good kid, probably. It could be great. But he's not going to be a big, scary forward running out of the forward line, or he's not going to give us that really reliable... Um, marking option across half forward and then the big swing around with the left boot and kicking in into the forward line. So if he leaves, we are a significant well, let me rephrase that. If if he leaves, we are much worse off than if he stays. But again, everybody's looking at me going, Grandy doesn't want to be there. If that is the case, then I will wholeheartedly shake his hand as he walks out the door and we will attempt to move on and we'll start calling Harrison Jones the greatest forward in the world, <laughs> and he can play in the forward line, and we'll pump him up for a brown line. So that, I think that's where I'm at with him. I think, yeah, I, and the other point is also, you know, if he did leave, what is the draft doing, right? Because, um, and that's where the club has to make a decision because the the flow-on effect, if Joe Danaher left, is do you have a then look at your whole list and, and how you want to shape that? Do you look at Hooker and Hurley? 
you know, do you actually go, okay, we may have to start getting into the drafts quite quite big. Now, you've got um, you've got Logan McDonald, right, who's scheduled – he's probably picked to go pick three or four. 196 centimetre, almost very Joe Denaha-like. Uh, I mean, he's very – Takes the takes the takes the mark at the peak of at, at his height, um, at his at his sorry at the peak of his um, arms out. Uh, it really, it looks like he's going to be a star, and, and that's where you go. You know how you know can they get access to some of these top ten talent? Um, you got Oliver Henry. You've got um, uh, Riley. Um, what's his name? Riley Thilthorpe. Um, uh, so you've got tall forwards in this draft in the top ten. Unfortunately, the best one's top three or four, which we – and, you know, if you can maybe trade down, um, do a Mark L. Fultz, <laughs> uh, and then oh – <laughs> uh, <laughs> Then you've got that option to, if you really, really want to grab a, a Danaha clone that's going to be probably, you know, has a reputation maybe, Jim, being just as good. Um, and so that's where I, I – I think that's where the club's at. If he left, uh, I – I think this is the draft maybe to use and maybe you will then want to reconstruct things as far as a whole list because it's such but a big gap. But even so, key forwards take a while. Yes. Like even like the King brothers who look like monsters, like for two and a half quarters per game, right? These guys like aren't incredible yet like they aren't what they're going to be in three or four years right keep it took joe a while on. too yeah, yeah. It, it took joe a while too so like if they lose joe to be honest like i think that this is a step back for the like they need to take a step back and say we are going to build through the draft for the next two years we're going to let harrison jones get there we're going to let whoever we draft get there we're going to probably try and move off some of these midfielders some of these defensemen who are older and move on. Like, I think that that's, that's what they got to do. That's where, that's where I'm but, at. That's where, yeah. But can we, if that is the case, and look, I Ben Brown, the crusty, the clown looking bloke, is that a situation where if we do lose Joe and it's a, that is significant, it's like five steps back, right? If we lose Joe, is there a position to say, and then we, we look at it and go, all right, fine. If, if we lose Joe, we've lost Joe. Fine. We, we draft a, a key position kid at six um, that looks Okay. Is there a and we start to we build Harrison Jones and we build the other kid and we we build over two three years for the forward line right? Is there a sort of a situation where we look at it and go in the meantime, where, yeah. until Harrison becomes a half decent footballer or the kid becomes a footballer, do we put Ben Brown in our forward line, a bloke that's look, played some football and can actually take a grab and and he's there whilst the kids come up behind him? Like I would love to root for Ben Brown. Like Ben Brown just seems like an incredible human being first and foremost. And he's like a great footballer that's kicked 60 goals the last three years other than this one and went through some really tough personal issues this year. Uh, I believe his wife lost a child, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, And like dealt with like a minor injury and then they let him go. Like, I think that the way North Melbourne has handled the Ben Brown situation is one of the dumbest list management things I've ever seen in my life. I'm not sure why they let him go. Honestly, yeah, neither do I. He turned that bad that quickly that you had to get rid of him. Well, they had terrible service into the 50 this year and he dealt with personal issues and he dealt with a minor injury in a shortened season due to COVID. 
And yeah. this is when you're selling your three-time 60-goal scorer for... And by the way, you've told everyone that you're selling your six three-time 60-goal scorer. Yeah. What are you doing? Like, I don't get it. Don't get that. He's, well, I think it's the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen from a football team. He's had the most five goal plus games in the last five years than any other player in the AFL. So it's, it's not, it's not, we're just talking about someone flippant. Uh, He's a very, very good forward. And you're right. He, he's had a horrific year. Like uh, the clubs had a bad year, but he's had a bad year. Of course, his mind hasn't been always on things. And like his manager, Ramanaskis said on the radio yesterday, he said, he said, he was very honest. He said the whole thing is just crazy. North Melbourne are absolutely crazy to just to just dismiss this guy so quickly. And that was his that was his man. He was he Ramanaskis was not a happy yeah. man. Like like honestly, bring him to Essendon. I would love it. Uh, like I said, like I would love to root for that guy. Um, seems like an incredible person that I would really rally behind. But I mean, again, it depends on how they want to play. Like if I'm actually taking off my fan hat and putting on like a list management hat. It depends on how they want to play. Do they want yeah. to play as a team that is able to give him space and give him one-on-one opportunities to where he can take a lead and then we can hit him on a lead? Because that's really the only way that he is like he's a 60-goal yeah. scorer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and he's great at that. He's absolutely elite at that. And that's a very genuine skill that football teams need. But if we can't hit him on the target, we're flushing money down the drain. So like, I I think that that's where it gets back to the original conversation we had before we went into this list discussion. Like we need to know the style that they want to play before we can really go down the road of knowing does Ben Brown make sense? Yeah. Look, can we just go to a quick break? Uh, And we'll come back after the break. And welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Uh, now then, let's move on to the next player in um, Sammy Draper. Um, from mine, everything we hoped Sammy would be. Uh, he is a young, fit, like cult of a human. He's got a touch of the um, he's got a touch of the mongrels about him. He's got a real fugly looking hairdo, <laughs> and he's just a young AFL footballer who has come back from an injury. I reckon he's got a lot of confidence in that um, in that injury of his, but there is like a, a real talent there. Ruckman are always raw as you like when they come in. He can jump out of a gym. Uh, there's, uh, there are no downsides to Sammy Draper so far. He follows up the ball when it hits the deck. He's got enough of uh, size about him to, um, to influence outcomes of packs. He can take a grab. He's okay with his um, with the ball in hand in front of goals. No, no downside on Sam Draper whatsoever. Bring him on next year is for me. Well, yeah, for me, Sammy, uh, if I actually named three of the most my favourite things this year, one was the five minutes after the second half against West Coast. No, and the, yeah, with Nat Nui, uh, where Nat Nui had, had clearly got on top of him and what you know he's an all-australian ruckman that's that's understandable and it, and it was sammy's only his fourth or fifth game sammy's 
addressed it at halftime, come out and absolutely crunch Nat Nui. And every time Nat Nui got the ball, he absolutely physically laid into him. And it ended up happening where Sam Draper had more of an influence the second half than Nat Nui. And that, for me, was the one game that spoke volumes of the internal um, competitor of Sam Draper. Uh, Look, for me, his obvious deficiency is his kicking technique. Uh, and that that would be the next element of his game to uh, to take him to the next level. But after eight games, there's not much downside I see. Uh, I've been crying out for a hard-nosed competitor and to have that in the middle of the ground and being a big uh, physical ruckman uh, who was really, really well um, mentored by Bell Chambers uh, in the last in the last sort of three, four months. Uh, it's been a really positive step, Sammy. Yeah, crazy athlete, great size, uh, obviously plays super hard, uh, super physical at the contest. Uh, I think his skills are pretty far away. Like there was a lot of times this year where I thought he got uh, taken advantage of just by not being quite as strong as what he's going to be, not having a ton of crazy experience yet in terms of timing leaps. Timing, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, like it's going to take time. That's fine. Like he's going to be great. He's going to be really good. It would not stun me at all. If he's pretty darn close to the all Australian level uh, at some point, but to do that, like he can get clearances, like because he's so physical at the point of the contest, like Mm -hmm. that stuff's going to be good. The next level is going to be the efficiency. Like he really needs to figure out how to, like actually make an impact around the ground because uh, he can get the ball. Like he can actually win the ball because he's so yeah. athletic and because yeah. he's so enormous and plays so physically and plays so hard. The next point is going to be efficiency and just learning, like frankly, just like learning how to play football at the highest level with the speed of the game and the physicality being what it is. All of the physical tools are there though. And the mentality is there. Like, I think he's going to be fine. Yep. Uh, we'll go on to Orazio Fantasia. Uh, now, this is Sammy's player. My, uh, my, my dear, <laughs> my number one boy. So, uh, oh, look, Raz is, has been uh, a frustration for two years now. So he just can't get any flow continuity at all. So uh, I, I, I can see fans' frustration that we just haven't seen Fantasia, the real Fantasia for so long, it it feels like uh, it feels very flippant for fans to go, oh yeah, just just trade him. But the 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 tease is that when he is actually is up and running and he's fully fit, he's so damaging. Uh, and we yeah, haven't we just haven't seen thing. that. Yeah, he brings the thing that they need. Like he brings the class and the efficiency that this team desperately lacks, and. That's annoying. That's enormously frustrating to me that he's yeah. probably going to go. Uh, not only from the standpoint of like, did I just love watching that dude play? Yeah, he's great. Like, he's awesome. Uh, when he's on the field, like, he just seems like the greatest dude. Like, everyone seems to love him and gets around him every time they score. He's the first guy there to get to someone whenever another person scores uh, for a high five. Like, seems like a great team guy to have around but uh, uh it might be time like <laughs> I, I get it yeah. like you yeah. got it's hard to count on guys who can't stay healthy and 
like if we can get something for him now that's valuable, I don't know if we're going to get a first round pick for him because I would not give up a first round pick if I was another team, frankly. And like the problem is he wants to go to South Australia, right? And like if you're Adelaide, like they're undergoing a pretty real rebuild right now. Is he someone that fits their direction in terms of rebuild? I don't know that he is just in terms of timeline as much as anything. Uh, is he worth expound like expending the assets that they're going to have to give up to get him, even if it's just like a second round pick or whatever. Um, and then port, I mean, port's list is, is really pretty great. And they, <laughs> and, and, they, and they got butters Rating and those, him? they got butters and those sort of guys that play like him and are just as skillful. So that, that's just not a requirement. Port need him at all. So I think at the Crows, there, well, look, there was mention by Kane Corns, and I say that with uh, due dread of probably it's not real, but he did feel that Adelaide was into Fantasia and his age of 26 was still within their time frame of, the, of it being okay. So that, that's, that would probably be the likelihood if it happened. But look, I'm told it's not a given uh, just between us and the rest of the yeah. whole... 3,000 audience. <laughs> I'm told it's definitely not a given that it's just, he's going to Adelaide. It's no, I'm, I'm told that's not a given at all. He's, you know, he could easily stay. Uh, I'd so. love to see him stay. That'd be great. So like, I mean, if we put the, put please. the same effort into his injury is, I mean, he's had all this season off. So put as much effort into his injury and get him up and going. Cause you're right. He's, he's, he's got the X factor. He's mm. got that X factor of class that, is good on any team. And again, you, you really don't want to let guys like that go if, unless you absolutely have to. Well, and can I also say this? Like, mm-hmm. I understand why they put him at halfback because they needed someone who could hit targets transitioning from defense to offense. I don't think he's a, I think he's a forward. Like, yeah. I think that they need someone who can kick goals and who can get out on leads and frankly, who can be a playmaker for our forward line as a half forward or a small forward playing in that line because he's so good at finding those angles to his teammates for passes and assists. So mm. I think he's a forward. If they're not going to play him at forward, I do kind of hope that they let him go because I don't yeah. know that he'll be worth the salary that they're going to pay him to have to stay. Now we move on to a, a very, uh, probably a similar conversation, a highly talented person, Aaron Francis, but um, probably got lost in the wilderness a bit, whether he's through injury. He only played eight games out of 17, and, and a lot of that mainly down to injury. Uh, look, he, he's a guy that uh, defensively was was pretty sound. Like, he, he, no one had kicked over two goals on him all year. So, he, you know, he's sort of ticking that box most of the time. He'll, um, he, you, he will be competitive. He'll be – he won't be um, – uh, defeated that much, but I guess just the uh, unpredictability of when he has the ball in hand um, is still a little bit of an issue, and and also, um, I'm hoping he was going to get out of this, but also just uh, I feel like he can just click off mentally for a, a few minutes and just miss something that a key play or a, a key switch uh, where his opponent ha- has changed to the other side of the field and he just was slow to react. Uh, he's a guy that will back himself uh, as an, an intercept forward, uh, sorry, intercept defender. Um, 
and that can sometimes cost him. But his role changed quite significantly with the emergence of Jordan Ridley. He was the Jordan Ridley meant to be <laughs> when we when we drafted him, and Jordan Ridley's done it at such an exceptional level that um, Aaron's then became more of a lockdown, like almost like a bit of an Ambrose role, yeah, rather than his where he he would say his skill set is. So it's it's a it's an intriguing one. I do look. I'm I'm one of those ones that I keep him because I don't think you trade his his trade value is so small. You might as well see what you can get out of him in the next few years, um, and because he still has a lot of talent. Can so I guess that like I wasn't paying attention to the AFL draft back in 2015, right? And a lot of the comparisons I saw were like he's a Brendan Goddardy like big midfielder like who can switch back to halfback kind of guy. That's not anything remotely what I've seen is even in his like toolbox in terms of just disposing of the ball and being efficient. Like what can, can you kind of maybe like explain his, maybe his development like, is that it? Like, it was it just like kind of an overreach by evaluators? No, well, like, what happened there? As Look, as a junior, he was he was definitely more class as an 80% halfback, as an intercept halfback. That could play on the odd occasion, be like a stringer, right? On the odd occasion, either in the midfield. But he also could go forward and kick goal. Like, he actually had a mm-hmm. number of games where he kicked three goals, three or four goals for his team. But halfback uh, – and, and look, I'm, I'm a – uh, in all transparency, I, I sponsor Sam Draper as a player. So I'm a part. Who? Right? You mean Aaron Francis? Aaron Francis. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. Oh, what a. And I can't. I can't believe I got that. Uh, no, but no, but you got you got the name right. You got the name. You didn't say. You said Sam. I got Sam, good. but just the wrong player. <laughs> yeah, uh, Aaron, yeah I'm a sponsor of Aaron Francis. Um, so obviously, I, I've had quite a few chats with him. Uh, he's he believes that his best is a intercept sweeping kind of halfback role, almost like the Goddard role before he retired, right? Uh, he likes that role. Um, he likes to he likes to play an instinct, and I think they've changed that a bit. I, I feel like, look, if there's anything, I, I felt like our, our team was overcoached in many ways this year. I think a lot of players lost their instinct this year. I mean, we had terrible ball movement of just sideways movement, uh, really slow. Uh, I felt like there's a lot of... And he's a very class- conservative. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, my, I remember one on one podcast. I said I felt like the guys are overthinking uh, instructions that they've had midweek. They're really, they're really emphasizing trying to get a game plan in that. You can almost see them overthinking, and then it's just it's such stop, pause, ball movement uh, that it's. It, and, and Aaron's a classic case. He's a he's quite a, a an eccentric ball mover. Really likes to be creative. Likes his fifty meter passes and goes for it. Likes likes aggressive kicking. That's his style. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know they've asked him to cut that down quite a bit um, because it had can lead to turnovers too and quite critical ones. So he's 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 probably a little bit just a, a lost in in what he naturally has done his career to what they're asking him to do, which is a bit more shut down defensively role. Um, because I feel like that's the requirement for the team at the moment. But I think he wants to run and be creative. Uh, So he's got an interesting stage. I don't think anyone predicted Ridley to to be that dominant um, 
in the defensive area, in an area that Aaron likes to, in a, well, in a in an aspect of the game Aaron likes to do himself. So it had a flow-on effect to Aaron. And and Aaron, look, has a really big off-season because his biggest problem is Ambrose will be fit at the start of, uh, start of the year next year. Yeah. So now, you know, the role he was playing, you know, you would say – at, the, at this very point in time, Ambrose is a really good lockdown defender. He was probably two years ago, I think he's statistically the best in the AFL, two years ago, yep. Ambrose. so Yeah, gave up 13. He lost 13.7% of his one-on-one contests last year. It's funny. I was talking to <laughs> someone who works for an AFL list uh, a few days ago and was singing the praises of Patty Ambrose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was like, yeah, like Patty Ambrose, like he's just fine. I'm like, no, he... I agreed with you like three years ago, but he's really good now. Like if he can stay healthy, he's a really good lockdown defender. And I totally agree with you, Scott. Like <laughs> the, the problem is that like, I, I don't know what the role is now. Yeah. That really that, that's is exactly where I'm at. That's exactly where I'm at. I, I'm confused about what we're going to do with Aaron Francis moving forward because uh, I, not, not, I mean, not this season, the year before, the few games before in the 20, what, 19, the last few games of that year, he was taking grabs. He was doing yeah. that running off his defender, taking grabs left and right and, and being a big body standing on people's heads and stuff. But that is now Jordan Ridley to a much less um, spectacular way of doing it. But Jordan just slides in the front of packs now and takes um, intercept marks. That's Aaron's game from start to back. So, you know, I'm a bit, I'm a bit worried about Aaron um, and and him staying at the club. What actually is he going to do? Because don't think he's a shutdown, um, shutdown backman. And if Hurls or Hooker goes, um, or both, I don't know that you could put him at, at full back and have him locked down on a on a full forward. He, it's not his natural game, and he's going to get frustrated. I, I will say, I'd be pretty stunned to see Hurley go. Yeah, uh, yeah, so do I. I don't think Hills will. I don't, I don't think Hooker will either, to be quite honest. Yeah, I'd be pretty stunned. But, like, I mean, maybe this is it. Like, if Joe leaves, is Francis tried out as a center half forward? Yeah. Yes, yeah. he can do. He can do. He really can. Uh, uh, he tried it. They tried it. At- um, and it, in his first or second year, and I know people have said, oh, we've tried that, didn't work. He was a completely different person then. Like he was going through some really mm-hmm. dark stuff um, yeah. and, and wasn't fit at all. Uh, so it, it's, it's a, it, is a, it is a lot different to try him this time around. Um, but it's funny because the next play is Marty Gleeson, right? And, and they're in a very similar boat where they're at a, a very interesting point in their career uh, where – you wonder where what's gonna you know Marty's obviously around what twenty eight years old. Uh, yeah, he's he he struggled this year. Like if I'm being honest, he really struggled this year. Yeah, he had a had a he, he lost a step this year. I think. Yeah. If Sam, I mean, Sam like, you want to say something? <laughs> <laughs> you just be honest, mate. If we're guys like that have to go because of the list. <laughs> being cut uh he'd be top of the list for me um (laughs) not to say that like i really like his football instinct i think he knows what he's doing out there he just gets overpowered and you can't really play him on a fast small player because 
he's just not that fast, right? He's fully an instinct player who just knows where to be, right? Yeah. He's reacts to things very quickly, but someone who has elite speed is going to catch him, right? Like Charlie Cameron, if I remember correctly, was the one that caught him early in the year, yeah. right? Yep. And you can't play him on talls, obviously, because you just can't do that. The medium-sized forwards in the AFL tend to be much stronger than he is and just kind of overpower him. So what do you do? Like, what? Do, I guess, like, what does he do is kind of my question. Yeah. Other than, like, he's efficient with the ball, which is super helpful, especially on this team, but he gets beaten too often, and that yeah. gets... Experience, experience in the back line. Yeah. I think they, they played him for that experience in the back line this year, trying to, with Zerk Thatcher and, and uh, like down there, I think he's, he's been very good for, for an under, in inverted commas, undersized kind of defender. He's, he's made good decisions in the past. And I think in the past, he's been quick enough um, to keep up with the smaller guys. And he's never been a shutdown um, backman. He's been sort of a, floating back when they can take marks and he has disposed right. the ball well, but I, I agree with you. He, he, he looked a little bit too slow for the game this year. And it, again, it might come down to game plan or the mere fact that the ball was so often in our bloody back line um, for repeated um, entries in there. And you, you could be right. Like it, veteran leadership in the back line is always a good thing to have. But yeah. if it's a bit like Tommy Bell, if, it, if it's time, it's time for Marty. And uh, massive thank you to him, but we might need to move on. But then again, who do we replace him with? So Speaking well, of, it, yeah, go and on. Scott rules because Scott has the disposal efficiencies up here for us in a handy uh, spreadsheet. So I'm not just pulling this number out of my ass, but like <laughs> uh, 85% disposal efficiency for Marty Gleason this year. And like a lot of those are like handballs to other players just right next to him. Yeah. Uh, particularly Ridley to go like to a kick on a line, like 40 yards or 25 yards further. But I do think he moves the ball well and is a smart football player. I just don't know that he has the you know physical gifts to be able to do it anymore. And I think Scott is going to bring up a guy that could be a reasonable replacement here in a second. Well, we'll go to our look. We'll make this our very last one. We're going to break this show up in, into two parts uh, because obviously it's we're well into an hour and a half. So if, if, you're st- if you're still listening to the podcast right now, you've been <laughs> listening for an hour and a half. <laughs> so look, we'll, we'll make this person the last one for part one of the show. Then we'll come back with part two. Uh, so look, our last one is, is Matt Guelphy. Uh Matt, uh, I, uh, he, again, is. He's on the cusp. He's, 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 I, I don't necessarily have him as a, a, a when, when everyone's available as a, 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 a 22 kind of player, but he is a very, very serviceable competitor um, as, a, as a person who comes in once injuries start. He, can, he may need to, like depending on the SAD, but with McKenna not there in 2021, he may need to because there's not many other players may need to play that um, uh, key defensive role back. Um, because we're we're struggling in that area, and and whether he takes over a, a, a Gleason role or a, or a McKenna role, uh, it, it's I think he wants to play midfield, but it's just there's just too many midfielders um, probably above him at the moment that that uh, that kind of can find the ball a bit more uh, and, and get more clearance work. So, but he you never you never doubt Maddie's competitiveness, uh, and that's that's what I'll say. 
Yeah. And if you go back to Paul Brasher's statement uh, that we talked about early in the show, we'll go full loop here. Uh, he brought up guys that want to be here and want to be competitive and want to be tough. I think Mac Welfie kind of fits that direction really well. I do agree with you that on a good team, he's probably not in the top 22, but there's a world where I think he could grow into that. I mean, he's still pretty young. He's only 23 years old. He's got some time to get there. I, I like him more than I like Gleason. And maybe it's just because of age too. Like I would rather have all things being equal. I would rather have the younger guy than the older guy on this list. Um, I like him. I, I think he's tough and strong and uh, you never have to worry about where his head's at. He's always going to go full speed ahead. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Matt, Matty Guelph, he's great. I, is he the most ridiculously talented footballer we have? No. Um, I know we spoke earlier in the podcast about the likes of Townsend's and um, and those guys and, and um, Snelling about being in the side for, are they there to sort of make the team a hell of a lot better or are they there just to be a bit more one-dimensional? But Matty Guelphie is a reliable backman in, uh, in in football. Finding those, again, is tough to do. A reliable, strong player whose mind is in the game, who very rarely gets beaten. They're tough to find, um, and I, I don't think we got him for a hell of a lot of um, cashola. So I, I want that guy. It's a bit like, a bit like Paddy Ambrose for me. I, I look at Paddy Ambrose, and we've played a whole season without him now, but I want Paddy Ambrose in my side. Um, just because he's he's a great footballer, and I, just, I want him in the side. I think we're better for when he's in the side. I reckon we're better for it when Matty Guelph is in the side as well. Um, he can pinch hit in the mids, um, and uh, he, he's a much better the, – the, the side is better when Matty Guelph is in it, put it that way. Let's wrap that up. So that's part one of the show. Uh, we'll come back with part two uh, – uh, hopefully midweek you will release the show. So yeah. just quickly uh, before we do go, just uh, we want to also just thank our sponsor, Speaking Finance. I'll, I'll make a very quick 30-second commercial of you. Go to Speaking Finance. They're experts in, in finance and brokering. And if you need a car, trailer, anything like that, they're the guns to go for. Speak they do mortgages as well, Scotty. They do mortgages. mortgages. Uh, speak to Steve. Best to go to Speaking Finance Facebook page. Send them a message. They will definitely reply to your call. The guys and girls down at uh, Speaking Finance will definitely um, uh, answer any, any of your needs. And um, huge, huge bomber fans um, down there at Speaking Finance, Steve and his guys and girls down there. So we, we really appreciate them being uh, sponsors on the show. So we'll wrap this one up now uh, and we'll be back for part two later in the week.